I attended a, a gender reveal party, and I'm sure I only have been to about two of them, Melvin, in my entire life. Now, some of you may not know what a reveal party is, but basically, the gender reveal party is an analog of the baby shower. It is typically held earlier near the moment, formerly private, when parents learn the baby's predicted sex. Now, no one at the party knows what the gender is, not even mommy, hint, reveal. Now, people have all kinds of creative ways of revealing the sex of the baby. But the most popular is getting a cake baked. Now, the way the gender is revealed at the party is the, parent, the parents usually cut a slice of cake revealing the color inside. If it's blue, it's a? And if it's pink, it's a? Everybody in the house goes crazy with joy. Some people cry if they didn't get the gender they wanted. They got to learn to rest in the sovereignty of God. Other people walk around with their chest stuck out, saying, I told you, it was whatever it was. Leaving a party thinking they are a minor prophet. Then there's others who ought to be stoned because they claim that they were prophets and to the opposite sex of what they said is revealed. Talking about some, God just told me you was going to have a baby. I ain't never known God to be off. You said it was a boy, it's a girl. You ain't been hearing from God. <laughs> now this morning, I want to invite you to God's reveal party. We are continuing our series this morning in the book of Romans. And last week, I preached on Romans 1.16. Reminds me of Lecrae. The whole movement was based on 1.16. One of my favorite lines is, what is it? I just lost it. <laughs> oh, here it goes. He rose like Derek, no bull. Yeah, that, there it is. Derek needs uh, uh, healing, though, Derek. Uh, yeah, anyways. Uh, last week, I preached on Romans 1.16, the first part of Paul's thesis statement for his letter. It is very critical that we understand verses 16 and 17 in chapter 1 because the entire book of Romans is an expansion of these two verses. If you get these two verses wrong, you will misinterpret the whole book. There's a lot of people always misinterpreting God's word, and they uh, always got like that that face, they try to make that face to make you think that they got power. You know, you know that stank face they have. God told me to tell, if you don't sit down. <laughs> but today, I want to cut into verse 17. As we cut into this verse, like cutting into the gender reveal cake, we would see that God desires to reveal something to us. In church, it is huge. A couple weeks ago, some of us gathered around our TV to hear and watch the Oscars for about three hours. So I don't want to hear any complaining if I go two hours this morning. <laughs> Y'all like, all right, we're going to reveal to you, we're going to leave. <laughs> gathered around our TVs to hear and watch the Oscars. May I have the envelope, please? Why do we give three hours of our life to something like that? You know why I'm talking about some mm-mm, because you like it. <laughs> we love to have good news revealed to us. So why attend this reveal party this morning? It is by far the greatest revelation ever. 
After leaving this reveal party today, you'll be able to answer one of those many questions children ask you about God. If you don't have children, think of your nephew, your niece, your little brother or sister, or some child you're close to. Kids love to ask questions. I'm often having to pay people off every time we go somewhere because the cat asks too many questions. <laughs> Mommy, Daddy, what do we have to do to be saved? Now, if you were here last week, you know the answer is you need to believe the gospel. I encourage you to go back to, and listen to that sermon. But for now, a quick refresher. Verse 16. If you have your Bibles, follow along. Make sure I'm preaching the right thing. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, last week, I argued we should be bold in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because its potency, its purpose, and conditions are all based in God. As you can see, the verse said, it is the power of God. Salvation is the power in the anointing of God. Its salvation is all finds its root in God and in God alone. So let me say it this way. The gospel is the instrument of God's power to save us. So the answer to your child is by believing the gospel. But children are smart. Of course, they won't just leave it alone and leave it there. They always have a follow-up question. Well, mommy, daddy, auntie, uncle, what is it about the gospel that saves us? And they always end with, huh? What is it about the gospel that saves us? Why can't Spider-Man or King T'Challa save us? I just try to get it in when I can. Now, that is a worthy question, I would say. This morning, we need to know how the gospel saves us believers. The answer is revealed in verse 17. Welcome to the reveal party. For in it the righteousness of God is, you want to underline this, revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by what? Faith. faith. I want to deal with the first part of it. For in it. Verse 17 is referring to verse 16. When it says for in it, for in what? There is something in the gospel, embedded in the gospel, that saves those who believe. It is like when you see a car flying down the street. You see the wheels turning, but that's not what's making it go. It is what's in it. It is what's underneath the hood. And when you raise it up, what is revealed? The engine, which causes it to go. This is what Paul wants to reveal to us. The engine of the gospel. You see, it is saving us even now. We see that the gospel saves, but how? We see people coming to Christ, but what is it in the gospel that is saving them? I want to talk about this word righteousness for a second. So what is underneath the hood of the gospel? The answer is the righteousness of God is revealed. I'm going to say that again. 
What's underneath the hood of the gospel is the righteousness of God is revealed. If you knew how critical that statement was, you will shout right now. But hold on, I'm coming for you. Let's take some time to explore this word righteousness. Last week I told you to write down or remember three words. Gospel, salvation, and faith. Gospel, salvation, and faith. Or you can say belief. I want you to write in the fourth one down today. Righteousness. Along with faith, this word in the book of Romans is used 60 plus times. This word righteousness is used 60 plus times. When God repeats something, you ought to listen. It's a key word. And we'll see it again and again and again. Paul uses it in different ways as we go through. But you'll be glad to know I did my homework. The Greek word is daikonsuni. And I got that wrong. I was on Blue Ladder Bible trying to remember it this way. I'm just being honest. I'm just being transparent. I said, I'm going to get this right. God humbled me. But the Greek word means integrity, virtue, purity of life. Y'all notice I ain't trying to say it again. Integrity, virtue, purity of life, righteousness, correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. Here's a second definition for righteousness. In a broad sense, the state of him who is as he ought to be. Righteousness, the condition, watch this, acceptable to God. Okay? Righteousness is the only condition that is acceptable to God. Okay, so to be righteous is to have a life of purity, which means everything that one does is perfect, just, and right. The righteous person always feels, thinks, does the right thing. Let me contrast here. A righteous person is in the right, and a wicked person is in the wrong. If we are honest, that righteous person sounds a whole like God, a whole lot like God and not us. Some of us may have been playing in the mud today. But the reality is all of us have been playing in the mud. And when you play in the mud, you need to be cleaned, made right with God. Now, to be made right with God is to be in the clear. If you commit a crime, there is a penalty for that crime. If you're on the run, they put out a warrant for your arrest. Some of y'all got warrants out on y'all from heaven. I was hanging around this one guy. Now, y'all don't judge me. But he had a, a warrant. He was paranoid all the time. Wouldn't go nowhere. Always in the house. I'm like, man, why don't you just turn yourself in? You're like a prisoner of your own mind. No, I ain't going, dog. Oh, they going to get you. But the reality is we have all of us, at some point in our lives, we have been on the run from God. Which is why sometimes we don't like to be around people who are living for God. Because we are on the run from God. God has a warrant out for our arrest, and we don't want to get caught slipping. Today, we all have or had a warrant out for our arrest issued by the courts of heaven. 
We have been running from God. But the day of reckoning is coming. Hell is what we call it. But the reason why this reveal party is so important is because there is a way to get clear and get the charges dropped. So that you're no longer running from God, but to God. God wants to change your direction and running from him and to turn and so that you can run to him. But the only way I can run to him is if my guilt and my charges are dropped and I'm no longer running from the judge. How does that happen? You know it is the gospel. What does the gospel have in it? causes our charges to be dropped? Well, the answer is in verse 17. What does the righteousness of God mean? The main point today is the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Now, there's much debate over what Paul means here when he's talking about the righteousness of God being revealed. This phrase, righteousness of God, the way I see it, it has two undercurrents in the same stream, flowing in opposite directions, And here are the two types of righteousness, and then I'm going to add something at the end. This is what we're going to deal with today. The first, God's own righteousness is revealed by punishing Jesus. God's own righteousness is revealed by punishing Jesus. Second, God's gift of righteousness to believers is provided by Jesus. The thing that I want to add on, God's requirement is, it's faith. So let me explain these one at a time. God own righteousness revealed by punishing Jesus. Okay, so this first one is critical for us to understand why. Well, first, many people in our society have a preconceived notion that God just forgives without requiring any paper. Most people say, I know I did it wrong, but God knows my heart. I'm like, you idiot. That's, the, that's what he going to condemn you by your heart. Because you said that don't mean you're off the hook. They think just because God got knowledge of their heart, they good. If that ain't the most foolish thing I've heard, you know how you know how messed up you are. Talking about God knows my heart. You think you good? They say, I know I did it wrong, but God is forgiving. He knows my heart. And I say, true. However, he is also just. God will be unrighteous. Note this, God will be unrighteous if he just lets you slide pro bono. He will be unrighteous. Secondly, the reason why this first part is important for us to understand is because of this question that many people ask. And here's the basic question. If God created everything and is over everything, why do bad things happen? In essence, how does a righteous God allow unrighteousness? Doesn't God care about this? Church, the Bible is astonished, not that there's tornadoes and floods or sickness, but watch this, but that God hasn't killed us over what we did last night. The Bible is astonished that God didn't take you out last night over what you've done. Can't say amen, you better say ouch. Here's my Black Panther plugger again. I'm just messing around, but it went so well. There is a scene in the Black Panther movie when King T'Challa 
has this guy pent up against the car. And he says, have mercy on me. To this he replies, every breath you take is mercy. Holy justice says, God should have killed you in your sleep last night. Therein is the dilemma. God doesn't punish all the wickedness in the world. How can this be? He's not righteous. This puts the righteousness of God in question. Tell me, if someone raped, robbed, or murdered someone you love, and you went to court and the judge said, because I'm loving, I'm going to let them go. You live in America. When we don't get justice, we tear the whole place up. We turn it upside down. There's something embedded in us that says we need justice. Okay, maybe I shouldn't go global. Let me go personal. You ever had somebody betray you, do something wrong to you? What does your heart cry out? I want justice. I want it to be made right. Well, we don't cry that out for ourselves, though, when we do wrong, do we? <laughs> Boy, when I do wrong, forgive me, please. I, I love you, girl. <laughs> I ain't mean it, girl. <laughs> Well, we do wrong, boy. We ain't, talk, we ain't trying to hear no justice. We trying to hear forgiveness and grace. Don't sit there like you don't know what I'm talking about. You be quick to run to grace when it's you. But when somebody do wrong to you, you be quick to run to justice. Jesus got a whole parable in the Bible about that Ken preached on. I was cracking up at the whole time. Dude went out and he strangled the servant. The king just let him go. King said it was like $10 million. The king just wiped his debt out. And he go out into the neighborhood and he strangled a guy for $11 for not paying him. Well, we messed up. If anyone is righteous, if anyone would carry out what is right, surely it is God. Righteous are you, O Lord. Upright are your judgments. The rock his work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness without injustice, righteousness and upright is he. And I don't know about you, but one of the reasons I praise him is because he is a just God. Church, can we adore him for a moment? Pure in all of his ways, Isaiah saw him and declared himself to be unclean. The angels declare that he is holy, holy, holy. I praise him because of his justice. Paul says he lives, watch this, in unapproachable light. Man, I was watching something on Facebook, and I'm not sure it is because I ain't doing my back search, uh, uh, research, but anyways. They said there's a planet five billion times bigger than the sun. I said, that's a lot of light. Oh, that's a lot of light. But when I think of what Paul says, he lives in unapproachable light. God is holy and righteous and bright beyond our imagination. We serve a holy and righteous God. But there's an issue, church. There's believers. There's saints that escape hell. What is going on, God? David sleeps with Bathsheba and you do nothing about it. You're supposed to be just. And he murders the husband of the woman. 
What are you doing, God? Twiddling your thumb in heaven? What's going on? Paul says he lives in unapproachable light, but here it is. There's a question. God will either punish you in hell, but you see, God must punish wrong done by sinners because his very nature requires it. Here's the thing that we got to think about. If you're God and you are the absolute authority, there is no authority over you. You don't have to be questioned by anyone. So if you wanted to forgive, why won't you just forgive? Why slay your son? Because God is governed by himself. And because he is righteous, his own nature will not let him do it. He requires it of himself. No one else requires God to do this. God requires it of himself. If you governed yourself, you'd be a hot mess, which is why some of our lives are so jacked up and messed up because we govern ourselves. And when we get a hold of power, boy, we get a hold of all kinds of stuff we don't need to get a hold of. All kind of injustices start, start creeping up. You ain't as holy as you say you are this morning. That's all right. We all in the same boat. We family here. Ain't no point in talking about the person next to you. Okay. Therefore, God cannot just forgive. He cannot overlook, he cannot ignore, and he cannot be passive. But wait, he doesn't punish you who believe. There are some sinners who the judgment of God will pass over, namely those who believe. No, Satan could object and call God unjust. But God sent a Trojan horse to the world into the kingdom of darkness called the gospel. The gospel reveals that God is still just even though he doesn't punish those who believe. How? Because he punishes Jesus instead. That's why he can let you go. Because another is punished for you. Another pays your debt for you. God has been planning this gospel all the way back in the Old Testament. It's pictures everywhere, all through the Old Testament, of what God is going to do for us. But it was not fully revealed. It was not fully known. We had shadows of it, but we didn't fully see it. I'll give you one. And thank you, Sophia, because we didn't plan this, but you helped me out in your prayer. I was like, look at it, helping a preacher preach. Thank you. In Exodus, God's people are instructed to put the blood of the lamb over their doorpost. God tells them, take a lamb, slay it, put it over your doorpost. If they did, God's judgment would pass over them. Over them. Are you starting to see the picture yet? What was the difference between God's people and the Egyptians? Both were sinners. Both deserved death. There's one thing, the blood. The blood was covering them. This is why we sing, the blood of Jesus covers my sin. Oh, nothing can make me white as snow. Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. But in the gospel, we get a greater revelation. 
You see, when Mary was pregnant with Jesus, God was throwing his own reveal party. Not so much a girl or a boy. People were not running around saying, it's a boy. No, it's a savior. It's a savior. It's a savior. This is why John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins. Come on, somebody. Who takes away the sins. of? If you knew that Lamb that was slain for you this morning, the reason you can clap, the reason why you can get in your car and go to church, because behold, the Lamb of God who takes away. Oh, I feel like preaching this morning. I'm getting excited just thinking about all that he is, all that he's done. Can I take a praise back? for just a second and shout the name of Jesus because he's done. He's freed me from my debt. He's freed me from my sin. Church, can we take a minute and celebrate the Savior of the world? Some of us know what it is to be saved. You're going to have to excuse us this morning when we think about the blood and we think about that being the only hope, when we think about that being the only road to glory, when we think about the oppression that we were down by the devil, when I think of the sin that had me chained and I think of the blood that was wiped over my life so that I could be free, I just got to take a moment and shout his name, church. Church, I can see the father dance and saying I did that thing. The devil thought he won the victory. Those who followed Jesus thought it was all over. They laid his body in the grave. They rolled the stone in his place to mark the final of this man's life. They said ashes to ashes and dust to dust. But God, and God, may God have mercy on his soul. Church, we know that the battle wasn't over. God, in his wisdom, had positioned himself in exactly where he wanted to be. You see, to take away the power of death, he had to blow up the grave from the inside out. And after just a few hours in the grave on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. And God the Father pulled off the most amazing reveal party the world has ever seen. Now, if you can shout at the Bears game, and you can shout at the White Sox game, and you can shout at Bruno's Mars concert, and you can shout at that sorority party, you better quit acting like you can't shout for a risen Savior. You better quit acting like you ain't never gave something some praise. You better act like you know that he got up. You better live like you know that he got up. They say... What's all that shouting about? What's all that shouting about when the Cubs won? Don't look at me crazy. I'm going to look back at you crazy. You ain't shouting because you don't know what he did. So excuse us for a minute. The righteousness of God was being revealed through the good news that Jesus is alive. This is what Paul is saying here. I am not ashamed of this message. Because 
it has power to save people who believe because in the gospel, God shows people his righteousness and it is proof that God cares. The gospel is God's rejection of apathy. He sees the injustice around the world. He sees what sin is doing. He sees how sin frustrates relationships and communication in the government. And he sees what sin is doing. And he doesn't just stand by weeping and saying, I don't know what I can do about this. He didn't say that. Instead, he steps into our place. He injects himself into the mess to fix it from within. But whenever you hear the gospel preach, you are seeing. How God vindicates or reveals his own righteousness. In the gospel, God is free to now forgive you because he provided something in your place, namely Jesus Christ. If God was going to forgive, the gospel wasn't optional. It was a necessity. The gospel doesn't just reveal how God remains righteous, but how he makes us righteous. This is the second thing that is revealed in this phrase. For, look at verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is what? Revealed. God's gift of righteousness to believers is provided by Jesus. The second part is important. Your entire eternity is staked on this. God demands from man what man could never pay. He demands absolute perfect holiness. In order not to go to hell, you need a perfect righteousness. You need to be sinless. We're drowning, right? Do you know what I did a second ago? Did you see the thought that just crossed my mind a second ago? I I was doing good a moment ago. I just got jacked up. God does not demand perfect intelligence. He does not demand perfect riches. And young people, he does not demand 5,000 Facebook friends. He does not demand religion, nothing less than to be perfect your entire life. And we're all doomed because we're in Adam. How's eternity looking for you so far? The reality is everybody is looking for perfection, whether we know it or not. We all want to attain that peace that perfection offers. No more doubts about my looks. No more insecurities. I want to right my wrongs, erase the guilt of my past. The actor and rapper Ludacris said this, I got an empty hole in my chest. How do I fill it? Somebody give me a prescription. The Hennessy is not working. The sex is not working. All of this pain and falling and stumbling keeps overcoming me. Somebody give me a prescription. Brokenness is all around us. Even the person you like the most is at least a jerk at best. And we are concerned mainly about horizontal issues. But the main relationship we need to be concerned about is vertical. 
But the gospel does heal horizontal relationships as well. But it starts with getting right with God. So how do we get to heaven or have peaceful relationship with God? You need righteousness. And here's our dilemma. We don't have it on our best day. Martin Luther understood this and coined this phrase, alien righteousness. Everybody say alien righteousness. righteousness. Not outer space righteousness, but righteousness that comes from the outside of you. The beautiful thing that is revealed in the gospel is how God gives us that righteousness, an alien righteousness. You see, Jesus took our sin. He took on our sin on the cross. This is what God is doing. A transaction is happening when Christ is dying. Namely, God takes all our guilt, all our shame, and he puts it on Jesus. And when Jesus dies, debt cleared. But God doesn't leave you in neutral. He takes his righteous life and he imputes it to you. He sets it on you. He puts it on you. It's like them taking my criminal file, taking all of my bad things that I've done, and they put it in Jesus' file. And they took his file, and they put it in mine. So when I got before the judge, it was revealed, Dexter Harris, not guilty. Not guilty for his fornication. Not guilty for not loving his neighbor as himself. Not guilty for not loving the Lord thy God with all my heart and with all my soul. Not guilty. But over in the other courtroom was my Savior. And God said, guilty on Jesus. He didn't do anything. We call it the beautiful exchange. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed, substitutionary atonement. But not only does he pay for our sins, church, remember, God credits his righteous life to us. He gives it to us. Paul says it another way like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become what? I'm not making it up. It's in the Bible. People come to me talking about, what about the Ten Commandments? What about them? Paul says no one will be made righteous by the law. You're going to keep those Ten Commandments all you want. You're still going to go to hell. There is no righteousness in the law. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law is perfect and good, but the law is pointing you to a Savior. You need help. You're trying to do it on your own. The gospel reveals the fact that you and I can be declared righteous in the sight of God because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And this is the marvelous doctrine of justification by faith. Justification as a sinner being declared that you possess the righteousness of God. God gives you his righteousness. By faith, not by anything you've done. Justified because you see the bloody body of Jesus. 
You believe that he rose from the dead, and you cling to him with arms of faith. This is all I got. This is all I got. You should see those saints who believe in him in the nursing home. They're losing everything but clinging to Jesus. It's all I got. I don't got anything else. Cars and money, none of it means anything, but I got Jesus. This is why Paul can be in the cell and say that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because I can lose everything. But as long as I got him, as long as I can sing, it is well with my soul. Woe to the man who cannot sing, it is well with his soul. What is it that a man gain the whole world but lose his soul? Okay, look at the first part of the verse. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, here's the second part. From faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Okay. So it's not enough just to hear the gospel. You got to believe it. How do we get the righteousness? You believe. You see this in verse 16. You are saved no matter who you are. Your nationality doesn't matter. Your financial status doesn't matter. How many degrees you got doesn't matter. Teeth, no teeth. You still, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You may be missing four teeth. It's all right. You're going to get new teeth when you get your new body, so chill out. I'm just saying, I'm missing one right here, so I'm looking forward to it. Man, I'm cracking myself up. Paul says, the righteous, this is serious stuff here. This is serious. We shouldn't be laughing. All right. Yeah. Bring it back. Paul says, the righteous, I'm running out of time, y'all. Paul says, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. For as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That means today you live moment by moment believing God is who he says he is, did what he said he did, and will do what he says he will do. It takes faith to believe that the righteousness has come from heaven to earth and into your life. The great revelation of the gospel that all you and I need is to embrace this message as truth, to believe God at his word and trust in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It almost sounds too good to be true. I feel like you, you got to be kidding me. That's it? Yeah, that's it. Many people hear the gospel, but few people put their faith in it to save them. We must turn away from trusting any human effort, and we must turn away from human means. When Jesus was on earth, there was this division among him. Read the Gospels. Here it is. Some people believing, some not believing. And what cracks me up is that he raises Lazarus from the dead, and they go tell on him. Now, I don't know about you, but I will hope that if I see a man raised a man who's been dead four days from the grave, I'm going with that brother right there. I don't know about you, but I'm just going with him, right? But instead, they go tell on him. But there is this division, and John says that the wrath of God remains on those who do not believe. Jesus is the difference maker. 
from faith for faith, the righteous should live by faith. That means today you live moment by moment believing God is who he says that he is. If I can just give enough to the GoFundMe, if I can open enough doors for the elderly, if I can come to church enough, maybe God will accept me. Those are those who try to get it through religion. But there's a flip side to it. Man, I'm so messed up to be saved by anyone. There is no hope for me. I might as well give up. Both are examples of what it is to not have faith in the righteousness that God provides. What does it say in John? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. I would encourage you to commit John 3.36 to memory. Belief in the gospel of Jesus is the difference maker. Heaven or hell, life or death, saint or sinner, darkness or light, all is contingent on faith in Jesus. He says in verse 17 again, and the righteousness of God is revealed from, watch this, faith to faith to faith to faith to faith. From Genesis to Exodus, all the way through Revelation, every person that was ever justified was by having faith in God. You can see the gospel moving all across the globe. In China, in Asia, in Africa, in the ghetto, on the block, from faith to faith to faith. you got to believe there is no other way. And what does Paul quote? The Old Testament, Habakkuk 2.4, the just should live by faith. Nothing new, right? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as what? Righteousness. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal, anger, no? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not alone. What's the next line? Thou must save and thou alone. That from the rock of ages, Jesus alone is the righteousness of God. Now I want to zoom in on the part here. He says to the righteous live by faith. Mm. What is it to live by something? It is to survive by doing or using something. This thing that we live by shapes and governs how I do life. To live by faith is to hope and survive on something else. This is what Hebrews says. Now, faith is the assurance of the things hoped for, the conviction of the things not seen. Have you seen Christ? No. Did you see him rise from the dead? No. But we know this book is God's word. Not to start on all the amounts of evidence around it. We believe God's word because we know God doesn't lie. God keeps his promises. He says those who trust in Christ will never perish. If God is nothing else, he's faithful. The very nature of who he is. He is perfect in all of his ways. He is immutable. He doesn't change. He is the same yesterday and forevermore. Your mama may change on you. Your daddy may change on you. But God will not change on you. The gospel is rooted in the character of God. Now, we all family here, so I'm going to let y'all in on a little bit of my business. 
So this past week, I was uh, on my way to Bible study, and, uh, and my car cut off on me right in the middle of 65. Ain't that a shame? Now, you know, once again, I was on my way to Bible study. So, you know, I'm like, God, I can see if I was on my way to do something jacked up. You know, I, I can understand. You know how we get, right? We start negotiating with God. This time, God, I was actually doing something good. So why would you allow my car to turn off on me? I'm going to learn about your words. So me and God having that kind of conversation. How you going to do this to me? And let, please let it start back up. Please let it start back up. It didn't. And it still ain't starting up. <laughs> I appreciate a brother that came, came to help me out. When we're doing something wrong, we like, come on, God. But my van had failed me. I put my trust in it to get me to my destination. But the thing I love about the gospel is that it will never fail me. The gospel will get me to my eternal destiny safely and sound. My soul is sure to arrive in the presence of God with the holy angels singing, Worthy is the Lamb to receive glory and honor is due His name. How many people know that it's a battle to live by faith? Can we get on the same level here for a moment? We've been celebrating and we've been praising God this morning because he's died for our sins. But if we're going to be honest this morning, it's not easy to live by faith. There's times where I'm questioning whether I'm saved sometimes. There's times that I'm questioning. Whether I'm clinging to Jesus still, can we be honest this morning? Every moment of every second of my life, my faith ain't as strong as it should be. But maybe I can help you out this morning by telling you the issue with my vehicle. The issue with my car was that the alternator died. What I found out is that the alternator charges the battery and keeps the battery alive. Church, there's a greater alternator that doesn't die. And it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if your faith is hooked up to the gospel, no matter what comes at you, it'll keep recharging your faith. Every time the devil throws something at you, it'll keep recharging your faith. You may want to give up this morning, but if you cling to the gospel, it'll keep recharging your faith. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You may have failed yesterday, but you can turn to the gospel and it'll recharge your faith. Uh-huh, you may have slipped yesterday, but there's a gospel that you can hook yourself up to. And if you do, it'll recharge your faith. You may have been going through trials. You may be going through tribulations. But there's an alternator that keeps going. And when it goes, the battery takes the juice from the alternator. And it starts. Now, understand. Hold on. Because when the alternator goes out, it, it begins to show signs. Mm-hmm. The lights begin to get dimmed. Mm-hmm. The radio starts not working. Y'all ain't hearing me this morning. The thing I like about the gospel is that it could be darkness all around me, but it's going to brighten up my day. Oh, his word is a light unto my path. 
Oh, yes, the gospel gives me light to see. And I said that it turns off the radio. But the thing about the gospel is that I can keep praising no matter what I'm going through. Paul and Silas said that they were praising God and chains began to fall off. I'm telling you, the gospel is able to save and to rejuvenate your faith. I love what Martin Luther says. He says, when the devil throws our sin up to us and declare we deserve death and hell, we ought to speak to him and says, Satan, I admit that I deserve death and hell, but what, it, uh, what of it? Because there's one who has died in my place and his name is Jesus Christ and where he should be, I'm going to be also. So it doesn't matter what you say about me because the blood speaks on my behalf. Because he got up, I'm going to get up. Because he lives, I live. And because he's great, I'm going to be all right. Because any man being Christ is no longer the old man is dead and the new is what? Is here. Oh, I love that woman who came up in the gospel and said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, if I can just get close to him, if my faith can just connect with him, I believe that he'll recharge my faith. All I'm saying, church, is faith is the pathway to glory. There is no other road. All those who have been made right with God knows that the only way to heaven is through belief in Christ. The only hope of salvation is to be righteous. And that righteousness is revealed in the gospel and applied only to those who believe. And those who believe live by faith in this message. Here's the summary of the gospel. The good news, yes, Fundamentally, the gospel is good news. It is our redemption at heaven's expense. In the gospel, our hearts are introduced to the eternal weight of the person and work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Because in the gospel, we understand whether Jew or Gentile, we all have sin, and that's a problem. And the penalty of sin is not an earthly chastisement, but an eternal consequence. It is separation from God. The impartiality of God places the whole of humanity under the weight of sin's final blow. We were hopeless, but God sends his son into this dark world. Really God, really man, full of life, radiant in divine life, lives a perfect life, fulfills the whole law, dies on the place of sinners as ordained by the Father, absorbs all the wrath of God for all those who believe in him, takes away all their guilt, forgives all their sin, rises from the dead, triumphing over death, hell, and Satan, ascends, rules with power on high, not to mention he will come again, give eternal life, raise from the dead all those who trust in him. Church, that's the gospel, and in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Amen and amen.